All right, praise the Lord. Thank you guys so much for coming. So beautiful to worship together. Uh, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, 7 through 13. Mark chapter 6, 7 through 13. Amen. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, we want to encourage you to bring your Bibles, but if you don't have it, that's okay. We always put up the passage behind me on the screen. And if you're joining us online, uh, you'll see it on your TV or your computer at home. So Mark chapter 6, 7 through 13. Okay, this is God's word. And Jesus called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Okay, now turn to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence that is here. Thank you for that beautiful time of worship. And Lord God, we want to hear from you, Lord. Open our hearts wide. Open our minds so that we may understand your word. Father, hide, behind, hide me behind the truth of your word, Lord. And let the people only hear what you want them to. And so, Lord God, we thank you so much. Father God, speak. Father God, give us a vision for what you are doing. We want to be a part. So we thank you, Father. Thank you for everyone here. Thank you for everyone joining us online. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, praise the Lord. Well, since the very beginning of the year, uh, we've been looking at the most revolutionary relationship that you and I can have in life. I don't know how else I can describe this, but it is to be Jesus' student or learner, and the biblical term for that is disciple, disciple. So that's what we've been looking at. That is the theme for this year, but what is a disciple exactly? Well, we've spent an entire four months answering that question, so I shouldn't have to spend too much time on this, but let me just kind of go point by point what a disciple is. But a disciple is someone who has heard the gospel repented of their sins, and put their full trust in Jesus' saving work, his life, death, and resurrection. Okay, that's where it all begins. If you haven't even done that, you haven't even begun to be a disciple. A disciple is also someone who has received the Holy Spirit and is now alive to Christ. And because of that, he or she has now decided to follow Christ, not only as Savior, but Lord. Okay, he is Lord. That is a disciple. A disciple is also someone who is following Christ, not because of anything special that they can offer, we know we have nothing to give, but simply because Jesus' gracious invitation came to you, follow me. So you heard that, and now you are following. A disciple is also someone who prioritizes staying close to Jesus. Okay, that is your primary relationship, because you know without it, you can't be a disciple. There will be no growth. There will be no change. A disciple is also someone who gets up every day and says, today, I must deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus. 
Literally, a disciple does that every day. Here's another way to put it. A disciple is someone who gets up every day and says to God, today, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Okay, every day, that's a disciple. A disciple is also someone who continuously comes to Jesus to receive gifts from him. Why? Because being a disciple is hard. Okay, it's going to be confusing, discouraging at times. Taking up your cross every day is no fun. And so you need to come to Jesus continuously to receive from him. What? Things like his strength, his truth, his presence, his authority to do his will. Okay, this is a disciple. A disciple is also somebody who regularly and habitually puts themselves in the path of God's grace by doing spiritual disciplines. Okay, these are just spiritual activities that you're doing not to change yourself, not to earn God's favor, but to simply receive more of God, receive his grace. We're talking about activities like praying, reading, and meditating on the word, fellowshipping with other believers. And remember, fellowship is not hanging out with other believers only. Okay, it's a part of that. But fellowshipping is more like the players on a football field, side by side, covered in dirt and sweat, and less like the fans in the stands being entertained. Okay, that's true fellowship. So disciples understand that. They are regularly gathering with other believers, praying, reading the word, fellowshipping. And then finally, last week, we saw that a disciple is somebody who is marked by a deep love for God and others. These are the greatest loves in their heart. Yes, they have other loves, but the most love that they have is for God and for others. And this is what defines them. This is what the wor world notices about them. This is what the world sees in us and then asks, there's something different about you. What is it? And then our answer is, I follow Jesus. Okay, that's the answer. So this is what a disciple is. And although the world ignores, by and large, disciples all around us, history shows us that these are the people who have changed the world. Okay, disciples have changed the world. Okay, more than any king, ruler, government, tech billionaire, disciples of Jesus have changed the world for the good and continue to change the world. And I say that with no exaggeration, okay, no hyperbole. And the reason is because it's not us, right? It's not them, but it's Christ in them. Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So that's what a disciple is, okay? This is what we've been looking at since the very beginning of the year. So here's the big question. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Okay, that's the question. Are you following him? And Jesus' invitation is going out every single week. He's saying, follow me, right? Follow me. So who will answer that call? That's the question. So being Jesus' disciple is the most revolutionary relationship you and I can have in this life. And if you miss this, brothers and sisters, I don't know what to say. You've missed everything. Again, that's no exaggeration. If you miss this and you go on just going to church, but you do other things, then you have missed it all. But how can I be his disciple though, right? Some of you guys might be wondering, okay, if it's that important, but how can I do this when my life is so busy? You have a whole lot of other things going on. Well, here's the wonderful truth about being a disciple. You can be doing exactly what you're doing right now and be his disciple in that very thing. Right? It's not some whole other life you need to adopt and become somebody else. You will become somebody else, but you do it in the very life you're living right now. So, for example, a lot of you guys are in medicine, but your identity is not to be a doctor or a nurse or a PA or whatever, but rather is to be a disciple of Christ who does medicine. That's your identity. If you're in education, your identity is not I'm a teacher, but rather I'm a disciple of Christ who happens to be teaching. 
doing education, if you're in computer science, your identity is not I'm a programmer, but rather I'm a disciple of Christ who can code, right? You are a disciple. So it's a change in perspective. And this is actually very important for today's point, today's message, because today we're going to be talking about something that's going to seem way too much for some of you. Okay, this is how we're going to end this message. But we're going to talk about something that's going to seem way beyond your life that's already quite busy. Something that pastors and full-time ministry people should be really doing. Okay, some of us think like this. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about you now going out and making disciples. Okay, you now making disciples. So up until now, we've been talking about being disciples, right? You need to be a disciple. Well, there's a purpose for that. The entire goal of being a disciple is to eventually now reproduce yourself and to now make a disciple. See, every human being, the way God designed us, when we are healthy and mature, eventually we should be able to reproduce ourselves physically. I know not everybody can do that, but that is the goal that God intended our bodies to do. Well, that's the same thing spiritually. If you are healthy and growing and maturing, then eventually you should be able to reproduce yourself and make another disciple. And when you look at the arc of Jesus' entire ministry, that's exactly what we see. But from the beginning all the way to the end, he had a very clear aim. His aim was to make disciples who would go on to make disciples, who would go on to make disciples. And he had a very clear method for doing this, and he also empowered his disciples to do this. So it's very clear when you look at Jesus' ministry, everything was going towards that. It was gearing towards this whole disciple-making movement. So first, Jesus' aim from the very beginning of his ministry was to not only make disciples, but to make disciples who would go and make disciples, who would go and make disciples down through the ages. That was his aim. So Jesus wasted no time in casting this vision to his disciples. Because very early on in his ministry, he told his disciples, he might have said this right when he called them, but he said, Follow me, and I will do what? Make you into something, fishers of men. And by the way, he said that to a bunch of guys who knew nothing. They had the spiritual discernment of a pinto bean. I mean, they knew nothing, right? They had the spiritual maturity of a toddler. I mean, these were just basically fools, right, just living their lives. And yet he called them and said, follow me, and I will make you into fishers of men. I'm going to make you into something. You're going to become my disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And then not long after that, we see Jesus keeping his word. He actually begins to do this. Mark 6, verse 7. This was our passage that we read. And Jesus called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. Amen. Doug, I just met Doug today. (laughs) Praise God. Two by two. So this would be like a person coming to faith in Christ as a brand new baby Christian, and now here they are a month later, they're at some kind of outreach event, and then the person up front hands them the mic and says to this baby Christian, okay, it's your turn now, share the gospel. That's what Jesus is doing basically. This wasn't long into their discipleship process. And suddenly Jesus is now calling them to send them out two by two. Woo, crazy, but this is what Jesus is doing because he had a name. So as unusual as all of this might seem to some people, Jesus did it because he had a goal, he had a name. And then it finally came into sharp focus after his work on the cross was finished. After dying for our sins, he came back to life and then he reappeared to his disciples on a mountain in Galilee. 
And he said these famous words that echoed down through the ages. But he said in Matthew 28, 19, and Jesus came and said to them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So do you see that? From the very beginning of his ministry, when he called the very first guys to follow him, to shortly after that, sending him out, to finally after he died and rose again, it's all geared towards this. Jesus was focused and aimed at making a disciple-making movement. Disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples. So Jesus was highlighting this in red. He bold-faced it. He underlined it. How? Well, if you look at the Great Commission, he only gave one command, the only one, after he died and rose again. Okay, prior to that, he talked about a lot of things. He gave a lot of different commands. But after he did his great work on the cross and rose back to life, he only gave them one command. Now, a lot of people, when they read the Great Commission, they think there's a lot of commands here. Well, didn't he say like a bunch of things like go, make disciples, baptize, teach? Well, if you read it in the Greek, in the English it kind of looks like a bunch of commands, but in the Greek there's only one command. There's only one word in this whole Great Commission in the command form is make disciples. In the Greek, it's just one word, make disciples. And go, baptize, and teach are ING words. They're participles. They're ING words supporting that one command. So literally, Jesus was saying, make disciples. That's my one command to you, my disciples, my church. Make disciples, how? By going, baptizing, teaching. All of that is done to support this one overarching thing I want you to do, make disciples. So what am I saying? Jesus was focused on one thing. He wanted us to make disciples. So he wanted a community of regenerated, spirit-filled disciples who would go on into the world and make more regenerated, spirit-filled disciples, who would then go on to make more regenerated, spirit-filled disciples. And he wanted that down through the ages, and now here we are. So this is the brilliance of Jesus. This is how he ensured the gospel would be passed down from generation to generation, spreading to the ends of the earth. The picture I get is kind of like a red dye that begins to seep through a piece of cloth all the way to the edges. Yeah, how is that going to happen? By disciples of Jesus going to make disciples of Jesus who would make disciples of Jesus. Okay, this is why there's a church in Riverside meeting at a community center in California in 2023, still preaching the same gospel, talking about discipleship, the same gospel that was preached in Jerusalem. How many of you guys know Jerusalem's really far from Riverside? <laughs> okay, that's where it all started. In Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Okay, that was a very long time ago and a very far distance away that the gospel had to travel to get to us. And yet here we are. Okay, how did this happen? Is it because Christianity is just a part of life? Churches are just everywhere. Everyone goes to church. No, no. Before Jesus came, there were no churches. There were no Christians. How did this happen? Well, that's no small question. Yeah, how did this happen? Well, it happened through a sovereign God who in every generation worked through disciples of Jesus, who made 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 disciples of Jesus, who went on to make disciples of Jesus, who made disciples of Jesus, and now here we are. Okay, is that clear? That's how it happened. It's not magical. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing from the very get-go. And so now, let me ask this question. The ball's in our court. Here, here we are. We're disciples of Jesus. What do you think we should be all about? What do you think we should be preoccupied with? 
No matter what we're doing as a church, one thing we should always aim at is making disciples who will make disciples. Okay, I, I don't care what we get involved in. You can start a basket weaving ministry. I mean, that's, that's great if you want to do that. But tell me how you're going to make disciples through that, and then we'll say, okay, we'll give you funding. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter what we do, but everything needs to be aimed at making disciples who will make disciples. If we succeed at everything else, big numbers, big budget, big ministry, big campus, whatever, right, whatever churches are going after, even if we raise the dead back to life as a church, but if we fail to do this, I would say we failed. We completely failed. Even if we see signs and wonders. Why? Because the aim of Jesus has always been the same. He died on the cross for our sins, rose back to life, not just to gather people who are forgiven and who will end up in heaven one day, but to launch a disciple-making movement that would spread to the ends of the earth. And even in the world, we know that an effective, influential company has a clear aim, that anybody can tell you what that aim is. Okay, even in the world, companies that are effective and influential have clear aims. So for example, most people know that Apple does what? Okay, what, what does Apple do? They make computers and phones. Right? You guys all know that. Tesla. What, what does Tesla do? The moment you hear that company name, what do you, what do you think of? They make batteries and cars. Okay, even I know that. I know fanboys and insiders will say, we do more than that. Okay, whatever. <laughs> but the world knows. Okay, that's what they do. That's what they make. Even I know that. I don't even own an iPhone or a Tesla. I know that, right? Well then, what does the church make? What does the church make? What should the world say about the church when they think about what? why is the church around? What is the church doing? What are they making? Well, I don't think the world knows the answer. I don't even think a lot of churches know the answer. What do churches make? If Apple makes computers and phones, if Tesla makes batteries and cars, what do churches make? Well, I'll tell you. The church of Jesus Christ makes disciples. Who makes disciples? Who makes disciples? Who makes disciples? I don't care if you have a campus. I don't care if you meet in someone's living room. I don't care if you have a $10 million budget or a $10 budget. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're branded or not branded. If you're a church of Jesus Christ, you're going to be making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Why? Because that was Jesus' aim. So is that the aim of our church? Right? We should be asking that. If you're here for the first time and you're wondering, should I come to this church? You should be asking that question. Don't just you know, ask, oh, do they sing well here? Does, does a pastor keep me awake during the sermon? You should be asking, does this church focus on what Jesus was aimed at? Are they making disciples who make disciples who make disciples? And by the way, the church is not an organization. It's the people. It's us. So I need to bring this all the way down to the individual level. Is this your aim? Right? Is making disciples who make disciples your personal goal in your life? And if it's not, then I'm curious. How are you reading the Great Commission so that you're not included in it? Okay, how are you seeing the Great Commission where you're not, it doesn't apply to you? So being a disciple and making disciples who make disciples should be the aim of every single believer and the church as a whole. But how do we do this? Well, that's another big question. And we can't give the full answer today, but I think we can kind of get a sketch from Jesus' method so this is the second point. But Jesus also not only gave us a clear aim, but he gave us the method. So what was Jesus' method to make disciples who make disciples? Well, when we go back to Mark 6 and Matthew 28, when we look at passages like these, we see, we see this kind of pass-it-on method rooted in close relationship. So that's the way I would frame it. 
But Jesus' method was kind of this pass-it-on method, rooted in close relationship. So when Jesus called people to himself to be disciples, he called them not to a curriculum, not to a school. We've looked at this before. But he called them to himself. Jesus called people to himself. Unlike other rabbis, where it was just merely to a set of teachings, he said, no, you're coming to follow me. Because he is the curriculum. He is the school. And here's why. Here's why Jesus called people to himself. It's because everything that his disciples would need to grow and multiply and and launch this kind of disciple-making movement was available within Jesus himself. It was all within Jesus. Okay, what do I mean? Well, Jesus is the word of God made flesh. If they need the word of God, and they do, then they they were going to get it from Jesus. He is the word of God made flesh. Jesus is the eternal life that God was giving to the world. If his disciples needed eternal life to energize them, to propel them forward, and they did, they were going to get it from Jesus. He is the eternal life. He is the bread of life and living water their souls needed to sustain them. He is the wisdom of God to navigate through this world, to, to even know how to disciple people. He is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the victory over the enemy in the world. If they needed to overcome deep challenges and the attacks of the enemy, it's Jesus. And finally, his life was also the pattern that his disciples would follow. See, everything was found in Jesus. He's the curriculum. This is why when he called people to follow him, he was calling them to himself, to himself. So if you look at Mark 6, verse 8, very clear. It says, Jesus charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. In other words, they don't need anything. Okay, take note of that. Nothing. You don't need anything. Just wear your sandals. Okay, you need some shoes. Wear your sandals. But you don't even need two tunics, right? Just take what you have, the clothes you're wearing. He didn't want them to be naked, right? Just wear what you're wearing. And then he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, will not listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So when I read that, I see two things. The emphasis is take nothing. You don't need anything, right? And right before that, I didn't read it, but he said, I give my authority to you. So that's all they had. You don't need anything else. Take nothing with you, just the authority I give you. And then the other thing I notice is everything we just read should sound very familiar to you. It should look very familiar. Okay, what do I mean? Well, it looks like everything Jesus has been doing leading up to that point. Right? It looks very familiar. It looks exactly like what Jesus was doing. And so now you begin to see this method begin to unfold. Okay, take nothing. You don't need anything. All you need is my authority, and you don't need to do anything other than what I've been doing. Is that clear? When you turn to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, you see a very similar method again. Jesus said, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Again, same thing. It's very similar. Whatever you see in Mark 6, it kind of came to fruition in Matthew 28. Similar. He, he gave them his authority again, right? All authority has been given to me. I'm giving you this authority now. And now, Jesus commissioned these guys to go out and make disciples. How? By baptizing the way Jesus baptized. Now, during Jesus' earthly ministry, he didn't baptize anybody with water. But after he rose again, he baptized people with the Spirit. And with fire, he was telling them, baptize like I baptized. 
He commanded them to teach with what? Everything he taught. So do you see that pattern again? They're given nothing, just the authority of Christ and just do what? Exactly what I did. Do everything I did. So what am I saying? Well, when you look at the life of Christ and the way he made disciples, it was this kind of pass it on method rooted in close relationship. What I mean is everything Jesus had within him, he passed on to his disciples. And then they were now commanded to pass that on to their disciples and they were to pass on to their disciples and so on. See, Jesus knew that if people don't know what to do, they do nothing. And that is a truth that a lot of people have discovered over the years. You know, Robbie Gallaty, he's a dedicated disciple maker. Um, he's actually a man who went from a drug addict to pastor and seminary professor, quite a story. But he realized after trying to make disciples for many years that people need a clear pattern or picture of how to do it. And so Jesus understood this too. I mean, he got this from Jesus. Gallaty did it. But he knew that when people don't know what to do, they do nothing. And how many guys are like that? How many guys have gone to church for many, many years and you've heard messages like this? Okay, I'm a disciple, I gotta make disciples, but I don't know how to do it, right? And because you don't know how to do it, you do nothing. I've been there as well. I don't know how to do it, I do nothing. Well, because Jesus knew that, he did what? He gave us a clear picture and pattern so that we would know what to do and do something, right? Amen? And what was that pattern? Everything Jesus had within him, he passed on to his disciples, and then he wanted them to pass that on to their disciples, and you just keep passing it on. And this method has never changed for 2,000 years. And so now here we are in Riverside, 2023, talking about this, right? And it's as if we are his first disciples. The method has never changed. It's as if we're right there as his first disciples. And why do I say that? It's because every true disciple today has a direct connection to Jesus. And so everything the early disciples received from Jesus, we also receive. Everything. everything. Amen, Doug. <laughs> so his spirit, his Holy Spirit lives within us. His presence is within us. We have his life energizing us. We have his words directly to us in scripture. We have his ear in prayer. We have his wisdom. We have his victory. We have everything, even his pattern of life in the gospels. Everything the early disciples had, we have. It's as if we're just like his early disciples. And so now we have all of that in us, and how do we make a disciple? Again, a lot of people don't do it because they don't know what to do. How do you make a disciple? Everything you've received from him, just pass it on. Pass it on. So you pass it on through the channel of the close relationships all around you. Okay, do you have a friend at work, and they're a backslidden Christian, or they're not even a Christian, but they're kind of open to talking about God, you need to pass that on. Okay, quit hiding your light under a lampshade. Take that shade off and just start passing it on. Okay, if they're struggling with something, you just say, hey, I want to pray for you. Why? Because people have prayed for you and you've been blessed. You've received answers. I'm going to pass that on. I'm going to pray for you. Okay, quit putting that under a shade and go, oh, I can't do that. I'm not going to pass it on. Pass it on. Pray, pray for them. If you read your Bible in the morning before work and you, and you got this conviction from this verse that encouraged you and then you're talking to a coworker, they're struggling, pass that on. Quit putting it under a shade. Oh, I can't talk about the Bible at work. Who cares? Pass it on. If you get fired, God will give you a better job. Amen? I've seen that happen, literally. People share their faith, they get fired, they get a much better job. <laughs> okay? I'm not being glib here. I know your jobs are important. Pass it on though. Pass it on. Quit hiding it under a shade. Pass it on, brothers and sisters. 
So again, this could be a verse you receive from God during your quiet time. Pass it on. It could be a truth you discovered while reading the Bible. Pass it on. This could be even a lesson you learned from God when you fell into sin. Now somebody else is falling into the same sin. Pass it on. There are even skills that you've acquired as God gave you opportunities to serve him. Amen? You've gone from like not really knowing how to do things at church to now doing a little bit more to now leading an entire ministry before you never really knew what it meant to be on the mission field. Now you've gone to many mission fields. Pass that stuff on. Pass these skills on. People are in deep need. They need a lot of help. You know, regarding the passing on of skills, there's a very helpful model. I think some of you guys have already heard this, but it's very popular in leadership development. By the way, I see exactly Jesus doing this. So probably ultimately came from Jesus. But it's a very popular model. But as I do, and then you do what? You watch. And then we talk about it. And then I do, and you help. And then we talk about it. And then you do, and then I help. See, it's switched now. You're doing, and I'm helping you. And then we talk about it. And then you do, and then I watch. You're backing off now. They're kind of on their own. And then we talk about it. And then finally, you do, and now somebody else is watching you. And who's that? That's the new disciple that they're going to be raising up. Seems very simple. And Jesus did the exact same. The first five chapters of Mark, he's doing ministry, healing the sick, he's casting out demons, calling people to repent, preaching the gospel with authority, and then he does what? Chapter six? Here, you guys do it now. Right? I did, you watched. Now, and then, and then you helped, and then now you do, and I will help. And then I'm going to watch. So when you look at Jesus' method of making disciples, it's very clear, and it's also very flexible, very accommodating to all situations and all locations. Okay, you don't need a particular location. You don't even need a particular curriculum. All you need is the Bible. You don't need a particular resource. Okay, you don't need a lot of money. You don't even need any money. All you need is the spirit and the life of Christ in you. Okay, just like these disciples in Mark 6. Take nothing with you. you. You need nothing. You literally need nothing. All you need is me and just walk out in faith. And so in many ways, when I look at disciple making and the whole method of it, it's very similar to parenting. Okay, parenting, you really don't need anything to be a parent. Okay, well, you just need one other person, right? I remember when my wife and I, uh, we had our first child and we went in for the doctor checkup, the nurse looked at me going, you're the troublemaker. I'm like, what are you talking about? So, so I realized, oh, I'm part of this, right? I'm involved in this. But all you need is just another person, right? You and another person, and you can begin to do this, just like parenting. But in parenting, you are reproducing who you are in another. Okay, that's what it is when you have a child and you begin to raise that child to know the things you know. Well, disciple making is the exact same thing. And so just like parenting, in parenting, worldly parents tend to raise worldly kids. Insecure parents will raise insecure children. Generous and God-fearing parents will raise generous and God-fearing children. Okay, parents who go to church regularly will raise kids who go to church regularly. Well, in the same way, if you're making a disciple, then the things that you do will be passed on. Okay, if you're a disciple who loves Jesus and loves to pray, then you're going to raise up a disciple who loves Jesus and loves to pray. And so it's the exact same in parenting and discipleship. I remember when I first became a dad, I was very shocked to see this actually play out. This is true. Okay, when you have a child, literally the things that you do get passed on. Okay, I'm not proud to say this. I stopped doing this habit. But when I was very um, uh, early in my parenting, I used to sit on the couch in the evenings, just subconsciously, and I would stick my hand into the waistband of my, my pants. Uh, kind of like Al Bundy. Okay, I, I'm sorry for invoking that name in a Sunday sermon, but, 
But I would, I would do that. And I remember one day I looked over and my son did the exact same thing. He had his hand stuck in his pants. I was like, oh my gosh, right? You pass these things on. So then how did that happen? It's because I'm in this close relationship with my son. And he watches me. Remember, I do, you watch. And then eventually, I do, you help. I didn't help him to do that, but he began to do that. But it's like you're just passing that on. Well, it's the same with disciple making. Just like parenting, disciple making also happens as you go in life. Again, it's not this entirely new kind of life you need to bring in, but it's just as you're living your life, you're just doing it. It's the same with parenting. You do hobbies together as you're just living life. You do homework together. You travel together. You go out and eat together. And as you're doing all these things, you parent. It was the same thing with making disciples. And I remember one of the clearest examples was my small group leader um, in college. And she was just a great disciple maker. And then eventually I began to serve with her. Her name was Rosa. I'll just say her name. Rosa, if you're listening, I'm talking about you. But I remember she would just be so effective at this. But she would always just invite a young lady sometimes even like a few brothers, and she would just say, you know what, I have to go shopping today. I have to go to the market, and then I'm going to go swing by to the bookstore. You want to come with me? Right? Do you have to do shopping? And they're like, uh, sort of, okay. And then they would just spend an entire half day together. And what was happening during that half day of shopping and going to the market? She's discipling. She's passing on all the things that God is doing in her life. And she discipled. Very effective. So just like parenting and disciple making, you do it as you go. And finally, like parenting, disciple-making also happens in countless different contexts and in countless different expressions. If anybody tells you there's only one way to parent, they're lying to you. There's many different ways. In the same way, there's many different ways to disciple-make, make disciples. Okay, you can be in the church office. You can have a curriculum. You can only use the Bible. Okay, you can do it as you're shopping together. I mean, there's just so many different ways. But the point is, is, is very, very intentional. It's very intentional. You know, I remember uh, hearing this testimony of a couple. They're both dentists. I remember eating lunch with Pastor David from the Garden Church one time, and he was sharing this story of a couple at his church. But basically, they decided to move to Rwanda. And I, and I believe the husband is a dentist. I'm not sure if the wife is as well. But the husband, who's a dentist, moved to Rwanda with his wife. And this is what they decided to do. But they decided to raise Christ-centered dentists through discipleship and education in Rwanda. In order to do that, did they have to change some things in their lives? Absolutely. If you become a parent, do you have to change some things in your life? Absolutely. You got to, you know, readjust your life a little bit. So they had to move to Rwanda. But did he stop being a dentist? No. He continued right on what he's doing. I have a practice in America, now I'm going to have one in Rwanda. And when I'm in Rwanda, I'm going to be raising up disciples. How? By training up Rwandans to practice dentistry. But they're going to do it as they learn about Christ and the Bible. And so it just kept going. He kept serving as a dentist, but now with a very, very different focus. So do you see that? It happens on the go. It happens in many different contexts, many different expressions. And yet the aim is always the same. You're taking what God has given to you and you just pass it on, continuously pass it on. And so many of us, we don't do it because we don't know what to do, so we do nothing. But even for us who do know, we just hide it under a bushel, right? We put a shade over it. And my encouragement today is take it off. Okay, take it off. Okay, what, what are we afraid of? What are we ashamed of? Pass it on. It's changed your life. It'll change another person's life. So if you're a true disciple of Christ, then he is living within you. 
And the way that you're going to make a new disciple is that life in you, you are going to pass it on. You're going to pass it on. And Jesus, he not only just gave us a model or a pattern, but he also now empowers us to do it. And this is our final point, but Jesus empowers us. So if you look at Mark 6, verse 7, we see this. But Jesus called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And then in Matthew 28, 18, something very similar. Jesus came and said to them after he died, rose again. And then he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so here we see Jesus not just giving us a pattern, but now he's giving us the power. He has empowered us to do this. We can all do this. And where do we see this power? In his authority. In both of these passages, is very, very similar But Jesus said, you need nothing else. You don't need anything. Don't take anything with you. All you need is me and the authority I give you. And that authority, by the way, is in his presence with us. But it's that authority. And so God is giving you authority. If you're a true believer today sitting here, you're a disciple, then you have authority in Christ to do this. Just like a police officer, you have a badge if you're a police officer, and you have authority to go into a home and do certain things, right? Legally, you can do that. Why? Because you've been given authority to do certain things. It's just like Jesus giving us authority. You can go into the world now and do certain things and God will back you. He has called you to make disciples. So what is his authority? Well, this authority, the spiritual authority, is a delegated right and power from God to do his will. That's what authority is. It is a delegated right and power to do someone's will. In this case, God's will. And so this authority is absolutely essential if you're going to do God's work. This is why it was so essential that Jesus gave them the authority to go do this. He gave them a taste of it in Mark 6, and then he gave them the ultimate download after he died and rose again. All authority has been given to me. Now I'm going to back you with that authority. You go into the whole world. You absolutely need this authority if you're going to do God's work. And this is why if you're not a true believer, if you don't have God in you, Christ is not in you, you don't have this authority. I would never tell a non-believer to go and make disciples. They can't do it. They will fail. But if you're a true believer, you absolutely can do this. And in the Old Testament, whenever spiritual authority was questioned, or let's say lost, because of the sin of the leader, or some rebellion happened, then God's work came to a screeching halt. So it's very clear. This happened many times with Moses whenever they rebelled against Moses. Whatever God was doing in the Israelite camp came to a screeching halt. Moses couldn't lead. Why? Because that authority was being challenged. Or Moses sinned and his authority was being lost. And why is that? It's because authority is absolutely necessary if you're going to accomplish God's will. Spiritual authority also is not something you can obtain on your own. It must be given to you by God. It must be given to you. This is why twice we read in our passages, Jesus gave his authority to his disciples. See, this isn't something you're going to go earn or find. God must give it to you because you have now come to him in faith. You are his disciple. So then how do you receive this spiritual authority from Jesus exactly? How do you receive? Well, it comes through submission to Jesus' authority in your life. Going back to the policeman, as soon as he gets that badge, there is authority, right? He has the authority to go and do certain things in people's homes, out in the streets. He can do certain things. And as long as he is following the orders of his superior 
and following the orders of his department, that authority is there. He can do all these things he's commanded to do. But the moment he disobeys and now he's rogue, what happens? No more authority. So what keeps him in that authority? Submission, obedience to his superiors. It's the exact same with God. As long as you have received God's commands and you are now in obedience to him, such as what? Making disciples? Right? You've, you've heard that from God and you're like, okay, I'm going to obey that. I'm going to make disciples, God. I, I, I hear your command. I want to do this. And you're in obedience to that. There's authority. But the moment you disobey, you're like, oh, I don't care about that. I mean, that's for pastors. Okay, well, who am I, right? And you're in disobedience and there's no authority. There's no authority. And so now you might want to try to like share the gospel, but it's like, ah, nothing's happening. I don't know. <laughs> right? Like, it's just, it doesn't work. There's no authority. And so that's the first way you receive authority from Jesus is you need to be submitted under his authority. You need to be in obedience to him. But here's another way. It's by having his presence in you and being filled day by day by his spirit, his resurrection life. And so here it's so clear in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And here's how you're gonna continue this authority. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As long as Jesus' resurrection life and presence is in you, then you will be in that authority. Again, going to the life of Moses, it was so clear. But as they were leading the Israelites through the wilderness, suddenly one day a a, a massive rebellion broke out. Okay, they're like, who are you, Moses, and who are you, Aaron? So a massive rebellion broke out in Numbers 16 and 17. And so Moses and Aaron just fell on their faces going, oh my God, what do we do? And God said, get up. I'll tell you what to do. Tell all those rebels, the leaders of all those rebels, to get a pole, each and every one of them. And Aaron, you get a pole as well, a stick, and all of you put it in the tabernacle next to the Ark of the Covenant. And then the next morning when you go in there, the stick that buds, leaves, and ripe almonds, that is going to be the man that has my authority. And so they obeyed. And the next morning they went in and Moses saw that only Aaron's rod budded. Okay, what is that a picture of? That is a picture of each and every one of us. We are that death stick. We have nothing, right? No life in us. And when God's authority and life comes upon us, or I should say when God's resurrection and life comes upon us, there's authority. So Aaron, because his stick budded with resurrection and life, he carried that out and he's like, I have God's authority. All of you rebels, you're out, of, you're out of step. I have God's authority. So I hope that's clear. I kind of messed it up a little bit right there, but I hope that's clear. God's resurrection life upon your dead life. Without God, we're dead. But when his resurrection life is on you, things are beginning to happen. What do you have? You have authority. Okay, with that kind of life in you, now you can go and pray for that person at work, that classmate. You can share the gospel with your family member. You have the authority to do it, and you know it too. You know it. You know it deep inside. You're like, you know what? You know, I'm weak. I make a lot of mistakes, but I know God's with me right now. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to share this verse I read this morning. They need it. You have authority. Okay, that's the only reason I come up here every Sunday. I mean, I'm I'm a nobody, right? I mean, I'm just like everyone else. Why am I able to come up here and say all this stuff? Because I just know I'm a death stick, but God has his life in me, and because of that, I have authority. And so this is how we will go out and be empowered to make disciples. Amen? 
And so it is the authority of God that comes through his presence and our submission to his authority, his commands in scripture. By the way, the moment you leave this book, the moment you do anything outside this book, you no longer have authority, including me. The moment I tell you to do anything that is not in this book, I have no authority, zero authority in this church. So that's where authority comes from. And as you do that, brothers and sisters, here's what will happen. Okay, here's the power, and we're coming to a close. But I've shared this before in the past, but it just blows my mind, the power of exponential change. But here's the power of what will happen. But here's why 2,000 years later, we are sitting in Riverside, California, still talking about the same Jesus and the same gospel, and it's spreading. It's still spreading today. But it's the power of multiplication. But let's say that there was one man or a woman who decided to make a disciple, and they were only just adding. Every, every uh, day, they're just adding one disciple. But there's another person who decided, you know what? Just once a year, I'm going to multiply a disciple. I'm going to make a disciple, and then the following year, I'm going to make another disciple, and then that disciple is going to make a disciple as well. And so they just multiply out. Well, here's what will happen over the course of several years. In that first year, that super evangelist, that person who's going to go out every single day and win a soul, they're going to have how many people saved? 365, right? 365. The humble discipler will have how many people? Just two, right? Himself or herself and that other person. The second year, that evangelist will have 730 people, right? 365 times two. They're going to have 730 people saved. This is a mega church. The humble discipler will now have how many? Four. They're going to have four. They're going to have, right, himself, herself, their disciple. The following year, they make another one. Their disciple makes another one. Now there's four, right? So you see the pattern. Okay, year five, the evangelist will have 1,825 saved. The humble discipler, 32. But get this, year 10, there's 3,650 that the evangelist saved. Now the humble discipler is catching up, 1,024. That's year 10. By year 20, okay, this blows my mind. This is the power of exponential numbers, right? But by year 20, the evangelist has saved 7,300, right? Just one a day for 20 years. Guess now how many the disciples have reached? 1,048,576. Just blows my mind. And then by the 30th year, the evangelist has reached 10,950 people, and then now, the disciples have reached 1,073,741,824. You can do the math. But that's the power of exponential growth, right? And so some of you guys I know, you're probably thinking, okay, that just sounds great. Okay, praise God, somebody will do it, right? You'll do it, Roy, right? <laughs> just pass it on. I'm going to pass this on to you, <laughs> Right? Well, I just want to encourage you, if you're very hesitant to step out in faith and make a disciple, I like what G.K. Chesterton said. He was a Christian philosopher and writer, but he said anything worth doing badly or worth doing is worth doing badly. Right? Anything worth doing is worth doing badly. Even if you're going to make mistakes, just start. Just start passing it on. And it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be perfect in the beginning. But Jesus said, I will be with you. I will back you. Right? You can do this you will have everything you need, amen? So let's just come before the Lord. Okay, let's bow our heads.
But when Jesus rose from the dead and gave his great commission, that was not the great suggestion, as some people make it. But it was a great commission. He commanded us. I want to simplify it for you guys. Jesus said, before I ascend back to heaven, before I go back to my Father, I just want you to do one thing. If you forget everything else, just do this one thing. Make disciples of all peoples. So Lord God, help us to take note of that. Help us to remember that. Lord God, we really want to be about the main thing. And Lord, here at this church, we want the main thing to be the main thing. And all of us here individually in our own lives, Lord, we want our lives to be about the main thing. And it's going to look different. There's different expressions. But Lord God, we need to be making disciples. And for most of us here, we're not going to go to seminary. We're not going to have formal Bible training. But that's okay because none of the first disciples did either. But what they did have was an intimate relationship with you, the living word. And eventually, as the written word was being produced, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship of believers. These are all things we have. And as you continue to work in and through them, Lord, they change the world. So, Lord God, we have nothing less than they have. We have nothing less than they have. So, Lord God, please help us. Help us to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. So we thank you, Father God. We give you all the glory. Uh, Fill us, Father. Fill our church. Help us to pass it on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's just come before the Lord as we do every Sunday. We're going to spend a few minutes in God's presence and responding to God's word. But I think some of us here, we need to really just wrestle with the Lord. Because I was exactly like this, so I assume some of you are. But for the longest time, the Great Commission was just words on a page. It was just a great suggestion. I never took it seriously. I didn't hear it as God's final command before Jesus ascended up to heaven. I I just saw it as like, uh, okay, well, somebody will do this, right? The pastor will do it. And yet this was given to the church. And so maybe you need, you're, you're kind of like that. You were like me before. But let's just come before the Lord and, and just do business with God. God, help me to have a new understanding of going and making disciples of all peoples. And, and how can my life be about this? Like that dentist who started making disciples in Rwanda by raising up new dentists, Christian dentists. Lord, what do you want me to do? So let's just come before the Lord. Let's just spend some time before him.